Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Welcome everyone to the Storybox. This is the place to be if you're a lover of stories, learning new and interesting things, growing abundantly, and if you want to improve your overall life. My name is Jay Phantom, and I've made it my purpose to unbox and share the amazing stories from people of every profession all over the world. I'm grateful that you're here today. Let's journey into the Storybox together and hear more about whose story will be unboxed today. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Storybox podcast. My name is Jay Phantom. For those of you that don't know who I am, I'm the host and the founder of the Storybox podcast and I'm thrilled that you guys have decided to tune in to today's episode. Speaking of who we have on today's episode, I have a wonderful human being by the name of Serena Poon. Now, for those of you that don't know who she is, She's a celebrity chef, certified nutritionist, and Reiki master. She has made it her mission to promote further education around mindful combination of food, nutrition, and healing uh, intuition through her unique culinary alchemy programs. A leading chef and nutritionist, as well as a Reiki master to the Hollywood elite, Serena sets herself apart in a saturated industry with a genuine passion for curating intentional healing and wellness programs designed to help people achieve optimal, sustainable health. Integrating energetic techniques with guidance and education on food nutrition, how food affects our bodies on a psychological uh, as well as a physiological level and how it affects the emotional body. Serena's goal is to optimize the heal and of the physical, emotional, and spiritual well-being of her clients. Her motivation for concentrating on intuitive and functional food healing began long before she she created contemporary meals, menus, and nutritional plans for the likes of Jerry Bruckheimer, the famous producer, uh, Kerry Washington, Sean P. Diddy, Combs, and many other high-profile clientele. Serena's driven devotion of focusing on the whole body, mind, and soul wellness is inspired by the profound effect cancer had on her family with both her mother and her father being diagnosed within two years of each other. Unfortunately, her father did not make it. Recognizing the immense impact food has on the mind, body, and spirit, Serena welcomed a new path in her life and began her career as a nutritionist and chef with degrees from UC Berkeley and the esteemed L. Lee Cordon Bleu, uh, most intense and comprehensive programming. I apologize if I butchered that name. And get this, she was also the head chef for Hugh Hefner of, at the Playboy Mansion. Serena built uh, a list of private clients and 
introduced dietary health and wellness planning into her classic fine dining services. Serena's culinary alchemy is the practice of combining intuitive uh, energetic practices with guidance and education on functioning and spiritual nutrition. Serena's philosophy for living an optimal healthy lifestyle can be achieved by integrating nutritional and physio- physical therapy, healing energy, and balancing the body's support system. In 2018, she launched her health and wellness line, Just Add Water, and continues the expansion of her lifestyle brand, Serena Loves. Now, I think you guys are absolutely going to love Serena. She is a bundle of joy, full of energy, and her story is honestly crazy. So without me going on and on and on, which I know that I can do, I have a huge favor to ask of you. If you do get something from it, share it around to your friends and your family. Also, if you want to watch the full video on YouTube, go and do that now. Links are in the show notes below, but also subscribe. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review if you get something from this episode. Always love the ratings and and reading them back. Ratings are big for podcasters, so please do me a huge favor and do that if uh, you do get something from this. Greatly appreciate all all of your support as well. But you guys know what time it is. It is time to dive into this story box. Listen to the story of Serena Poon and also learn how we are able to find light in those dark places. Hi, thank you so much, Jay, for having me. It's like I'm already having so much fun. <laughs> so oh, thank my. you so much. No, my, my absolute pleasure to have you here. We were talking just off like before recording. Um, everything that you're doing in the world with, in terms of COVID, you actually got COVID. Um, there were some big words that I mentioned in the introduction (laughs) there that I kind of struggled with. So I appreciate you having the, having the patience with me, but of course, (laughs) before, before we dive into your backstory and how you got started doing all this and all the other great stuff that you're doing, I normally start off all my interviews with one particular question. And this one is, what does success look like to you? Oh, wow. That's a great question. Actually, I've heard it asked a couple of times with different people. And I don't always think about it. But I think for me, success is just, success is, is having, you know, peace within yourself. You know, I think it's being able to be very, very present with where you are, what you're doing. And knowing that you're giving value to those around you. I mean, that for me, it sounds super simple, but that for me is success to knowing, to know that what I'm doing is giving value to others, to the world. Um, and just being really at peace with, with myself, because that to me checks off a, a, a list of a lot of things. You know, that means I am healthy within my, my body and my mind. You know, I'm in alignment. My soul is in alignment. Uh, my relationships are all balanced. And so, yeah. So I think, you know, for me, success is truly, you know, giving value, bringing value and being at peace. Mm. Speaking about peace, over the years, over your years, have you found it difficult to find inner peace? Have I found it difficult finding find, peace? Finding inner peace. Uh, you know, I would say that in the moments, clearly throughout my journey that I didn't have it, it was it was difficult. I mean, it was painful, you know, when you're in those dark places. But 
what I what I realized once I was on the other side of it is that that's it's like the doorway. You know, when you are in those most difficult moments, that is really when you do find peace. That's when you find surrender. That's when the whole world kind of opens up and you see everything that is right in front of you that you haven't seen. So, so yes, you know, to answer your question, like, absolutely. It was difficult to find that peace. And, and I think that because life is a journey, I still have moments where I'm not totally at peace, you know, and I have to check in with myself because it's like, well, why am I not at peace right now? What's happening? Where am I putting my energy? That's not in a peaceful place. Where am I not receiving, you know, the love and the gratitude and the abundance around me? Because that's usually kind of what happens is like you, 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 you know, your, your, your viewpoint, you know, kind of splits and you're not honed in on that. So, so yes, you know, I would say it has, but that's, that's kind of the beauty of the journey and that's how you get there. What would you say to a a young person or just anyone really right now that is actually struggling in their own life to sort of, they're working towards finding their own self sense of inner peace, really? What would you Mm -hmm. say to someone that is actually struggling to find it? I would say, first of all, I would, I would say that there's a quote that I, I don't want to say that I live by, but it's something that I'm constantly reminding myself of. And well, there's two quotes, but you know, the first is that no one is you and that is your power. So when you're in that moment, you're not at peace. You don't feel like you're successful. You don't feel like you know what you're doing. You feel like you're lost. You don't feel empowered. You don't feel that you make a difference. You don't feel that you're special. You don't feel like you can even make a difference. And so it's so important to like get back to you and to center yourself and to realize you actually have all the power within you to do everything that you want in your life. And that everything can feel so broad and overwhelming. You don't know how to do it, but it's just remembering that it just, it it starts with that first thought and belief that you can, that you have this special magic we each do. And that's because there's no one you, there's no one that is you. And that magic is really what kind of helps your mind and your body and your heart kind of get back into a place of being centered, being grounded, and just to know to know that the outcome is going to be what you want it to be. And that kind of helps drive you forward. And then the other quote that I constantly read, and and that's just something that kind of looking back at my life and the different obstacles, and even in, in the year of COVID, it was just that opportunities come from obstacles. I have so many variations of it, you know, like, obstacles are where opportunities are found. I mean, but that's really what it is. And, and again, it's really about looking past almost what's, what's right in front of you to see what's actually right in front of you. So, um, so those are the two. So just a reminder, you know, that you are so powerful, you know what to do, just like sit, connect with yourself, know that your magic is the only one out there. Um, and then, and then take the next step. Mm-hmm. I want to sort of uh, second what you are saying there, mm-hmm. because I, I also think we live in such a busy uh, world that we kind of forget to turn off. We forget to switch everything off. There's so much information hitting mm-hmm. a lot of people and that kind of, if it's negative information, it's hitting our, our well-being, our mindset and mm-hmm. feel less than what we should be feeling 
we, mm-hmm. we are we are human beings created with a purpose. I 100% believe that. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes that negative noise impacts a lot of people in how they feel in life. And I always say that if you really want inner peace, you've got mm-hmm. to learn to be patient first. Yeah. Patience is a very difficult lesson learned daily. And yeah. because of that noise, because of that, that negativity, oftentimes we become impatient and therefore we become restless and therefore we don't have inner peace. We can't mm-hmm. sit still for more than five seconds. And then yeah. therefore that also impacts how we act towards other people, our relationships. There's a whole, there's a whole aspect to it. And I love, I love your reminder quotes. Those were, those were beautiful, beautiful reminders. So thank you thank so much for sharing those. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for letting me share. Great no, it's, it's, um, it's my pleasure because I think finding inner peace is an, an important thing for overall health and wellness. So I appreciate you actually bringing that up. Um, you mentioned for a moment there that you had dark times. And yeah. I, I want to sort of go into that for a moment and ask you what were those dark times? What brought them on for you? Um, well, there were, there were a few of them for sure. Um, one of the ones, well, I would say that, and I can't say it's necessarily a dark time. It is, but it wasn't like in a, a dark internal time when our, when our daddy got sick, um, and he had cancer and he suffered and, um, he passed. And then two months later, our mom got sick with cancer also. And they were both very young. They were in their forties. So it was a dark time externally. Um, but it, it wasn't in, it was, it was a painful time internally. Um, but not quite yet dark because I don't think that I had taken in all the externals and made it my problem or myself yet. And I think that that happens as we experience different things throughout life. And I think that's, that's why sometimes those super dark times come when we're slightly older, right? Because now you're internalizing everything and you realize it's all your fault. Your life is a mess or, you know, so, you know, one of the, so that was, I would say a dark time, but from a, like really internal, so dark wanting to not even live, um, came after, you know, after he passed, because it was not processing all of that trauma and it was not processing. And, you know, I came from that and I thought, and that's part of the reason why I've been so passionate about health and helping other people heal and live their best life and help take care of the people that they love is from that. But I thought it was my responsibility, you know, in a different way than I feel like a responsibility to sharing value now. I felt like I had to just make sure everyone was healthy and happy and, and, and that would be okay. And then that meant life was going to be okay. But in doing that, I wasn't taking care of myself. Mm -hmm. So my, you know, my priorities were completely off, but thinking that self-sacrifice was worth, you know, that was a minor thing that I could do, but that sacrifice meant these people are going to be okay. And it was just all not in alignment for me. And that was, that was in the, at that age, those were, that was my perspective. Those were the resources that I had. So that ended up leading to that very dark time because I'm not taking care of myself at all. I'm not making my own health or mental health a priority. And you can only take care of people as much as they take care of themselves, you know? And so 
and you and you also you burn out and so i got to and and because these are layers of um of behavior that's not empowering you know it starts to have an effect not just on your mental health but then on your physical health so i got to a place where i was you know i was already not well because i had this i had had a surgery and my body didn't respond well to it and then those layers of inflammation um and just it just basically started to just eat away that tissue inside. So I had to have another surgery to remove all of that. And from that, I got MRSA, MRSA, which made me very, very sick. And that was the beginning of a journey of eight surgeries, you know, that I had to have and just constantly trying to mitigate those symptoms. And, and so I would say that not that every, like the whole age, eight years was dark, but there were dark moments that came from that because I was so sick, um, feeling like I was being punished. And after my fourth surgery, I had um, I had a hematoma 12 days post-op. Uh, I was bleeding internally and I had lost, you know, nearly two liters of blood and it was, and I almost died. And, and I, that really dark time came after I was my, you know, I had some amazing clients. I called them. They knew the medical director at Cedars. They came, they saved my life. But the recovery process from that where I could, I was so weak. Uh, I had lost so much blood and I was, I wasn't able to work as a chef. And it was just, this was a fourth surgery after three surgeries that were not successful after having done everything that I needed to do nutrition wise and exercise wise to stay healthy um, and deal with this MRSA and yet still never feeling fully there, but being in the health, you know, being a wellness, you know, uh, um, practitioner is just also feeling like I'm not in alignment with what I'm teaching. I got to a really dark place. You know, it was, I was, I was, miserable health-wise, you know, I still had this infection. Here I am now, there's so much trauma and disruption to my body. I was so weak, I could barely move. I refused to see anybody because um, what it, I, I was, I think the best word to use would be like deformed. Like I felt like I looked deformed from the damage, from the bleeding internally, it stretched my skin, just all of this had happened. And I was in a super dark place, you know, like where you contemplate whether or not you deserve to live, like what value do you bring? Like now you have, my purpose was to cook healthy food and now I couldn't even cook and do that for, you know, and just feeling, feeling that I had also failed um, my, my father because I, took on this responsibility that I was supposed to take care of my family after he passed, you know, here, my mom was still here. My grandmother was still here. My sister is still here. And I was just like, I, I failed, you know, like I failed on so many levels. Like I, I, my own health isn't, you know, super intact. And so it was a really dark time. And, um, and uh, I was not healthy on any level, you know, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I had only just sort of begun my journey a little bit where, um, you know, after both my parents had cancer and our mom recovered, obviously, um, our dad didn't. And that's just so much not realizing it was PTSD at the, at the time to go through that because feeling like that's something 
as soldiers have and, you know, wasn't worthy of labeling that as a, as a trauma. Um, I had spoken to some therapists for a short period of time to try and, you know, navigate that journey and that healing process. And it wasn't for me. So I ended up talking to a couple different healers that were referred to me um, by dear friends whose family had seen them. And that was when I started my 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 journey into healing work, which eventually led to me taking Reiki. But that was a super dark time. Um, and I've had a couple since that were also tough, but that was probably one of that was probably one of the hardest because A, I thought I was gonna die. I didn't think I was going to live from that experience. Um, it was terrifying. And then I really didn't have a lot of support, you know, from my family. I didn't really have a lot of support. So, but it was necessary because it, it exercised a muscle in me that is in all of us, you know, that like internal strength that we all have that like you don't tap into until you're confronted with a situation that you have to. Um, and so that was, it was from there that I started my nutritional consulting practice that ended up yielding me a more profitable year at the end of that year than the years before. And I couldn't even use, you know, the left upper side of my body for six months. Um, so again, what we talked about earlier and about inner peace and dark times, it was that darkest of times that led me into, you know, a, a, a period in the next phase that was so much more light and, and peace. But again, chapters, right? You keep hitting them as you journey through life. You think it's the last one, but it's not. <laughs> what a story. Wow. And um, are you completely healed of MRSA right now? Yes, it took eight surgeries. <laughs> it did take eight surgeries. It took a lot of um, holistic healing. It took energy work. But I think because it was just in me and for so long, it had burrowed itself, you know, into this little pocket inside my chest. And so it just, and I, and I, I also don't think I had the right team for, for, you know, the first several. And, you know, after, after six surgeries, you know, when I, when it flared up again and I had to go to the ER, I was so sick. I was able to put together a team of incredible doctors, you know, and an infectious disease doctor, the head over at um, UCLA and these incredible doctors who worked collectively as a team to help, um, help find resolution to that. So, so I'm really blessed, but you know, that's, I've been, that's been gone, you know, although they tell me, just be careful, you know, once it's happened, like it can happen again. I've been, I've been great since my last surgery. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. For those people that actually don't know what MRSA is, are you able to explain? Because it sounds pretty, pretty. Deadly. Oh, yes. Yeah. So it's a, it's a deadly staph infection. And so, um, and it's, it's also resistant to almost all the antibiotics, except for maybe a few of them, like two or three of them. And so, and it happens, you know, when your immune system is weak, usually because we have staph all over our body. It's very, very common. You know, we have it in our hair and our skin. It's normal. Um, but this, this particular strain is a very deadly um, staph strain and, and it can get inside a cut and it can really, um, be very problematic. So it happens, um, doesn't have, and ironically it happens 
uh, it can happen a lot coming out of surgery. Um, and that's where I got it. It was coming out of, out of a surgery. Uh, and then that, but that's been my journey. But what's the good thing from that is I have had a lot of clients who have had MRSA mm-hmm. and I know exactly what to do and to, to help them nip that in the bud, you know, without having to have eight surgeries. Uh, so, you know, with each, with each part of your journey, with each, each with each lesson, it becomes, um, a teaching tool. So, and, and one of your second quote was the, the obstacles equal the opportunity. So definitely yeah. they did. <laughs> that. Oh, I love them. And that's how you have to look at it. Because mm. if you don't look at obstacles as places where there are hidden opportunities, if you don't sit there and think there's opportunities in the obstacles, you won't see them. And, you know, to be very honest, I didn't see, I didn't see opportunities for a really, really long time. Um, well, not really, but I would say for the first half of my journey, because you're very focused on like the pain, you mm. know, and it's very easy to be in a victim state. And that's not empowering. When you're in a victim state, you're not resourceful, you know? And if, you, if you're if you looking at something where, where's the opportunity? That's where's the, where's the lesson? What can I learn? And if you take that a step further, and if you're, and if you look at it, like, what can I learn so I can teach and help someone else? Mm. Wow. You'll see so much more, you know, it's not about you and it, it's about the world. It is about the collective, you will see so much more when you look at that pain point, when you look at that problem, that challenge, and you're like, what can I learn here that I can teach someone else that I can share with someone else that's going to help them? You'll start seeing it. I wish I had that same perspective on life when I was going through all the stuff that I was going through as well, because I'm only 24 and my journey has been a literal roller coaster ride. Like for me, it had been more downs than actual ups Mm -hmm. and dealing. A a lot of people know sort of some of the things that I went through with my health. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until towards the end of 2019. That's when I realized everything that you're saying. Mm -hmm. The challenges, I I say it, let challenges serve you, not the other way around. Yeah. When we serve challenges, then we're just taking away our own sense of self and worth and we're giving it over to the challenge and we're saying, I'm worthless now because I've been through a challenge. This is, I'm not going to be good at anything. I'm not going to get over it. So what's the point? And a lot of people give up and I call it that sink or swim moment. Yeah. A lot of people, they choose to to drown almost like they've given up. Yeah. Don't just, it's, it's okay to sink. Sinking is, is where you're going to learn. Mm-hmm. And it's how you're going to build up the strength to swim and to mm-hmm. swim further and, and become better as a, as a human being. Yeah. Um, you're so right. And if you think about it, if you think about it when you're in that water, right. And you're panicking, you're feeling, you're trying to get back up. If you do just like stop for a second and you let your body just sink a little bit. That's when, that's when those automatic features kick in. That's when your body like knows, oh, I need to kick and, and go up. Oh, I need to just hold my breath and, and I'll get to like, you know, you know what you need to do, you know, internally we know. And, and you've been through an extraordinary journey. And even though you say you wish you had known that, but it's good that you didn't because mm-hmm. you may not be where you are today, 
in your journey had you known that before, right? Um, so yeah, I mean, I think we also we wish, but you might not have realized it had you not been through the whole roller coaster of what you had been through. One hundred percent. And I also say this: people might believe it, they might not, but I I often say to people. God brings us to exactly where we need to be. It might not exactly be where we want to be. Right. We are always exactly where we need to be, despite the challenges, despite the good times, despite the bad times, doesn't matter. We are exactly where he needs us to be in that particular moment. And going back full circle here towards the inner peace and the patience, we just need to look at having a little bit more patience and and asking whether you believe in God or not, asking God, okay, what are you trying to teach me here? And having, yeah. that, and having that perspective rather than, oh, woe is me. Why are you doing this to me? Mm. That just disrupts the inner peace. Yeah, no, it's so true. You know, and I think that, I think that really focusing on like, what can I learn and what can I teach? Um, so often, like when people get kind of, consumed in that like why me or that victim state it's because they're just focused on themselves you know when you can take the focus off of yourself your perspective changes you have better optics you know you can see a little bit further instead of just right here you know you're not looking at something that's just an inch away from your face you can't see here you can't your eyes can't even focus when your hand is like touching your nose but if you can put you know if you can shift and and put that out further and you, know, you can focus when your hand is like you know a foot away from your face and even more so then you can see more and further and then and then you see what's around and you just have all these just just all these other opportunities and visions and just you know teachings and learnings and layers all become very very visible so 100 percent. you mentioned mm -hmm. that you had like during this stage you had the, the beginnings of your spiritual journey and yeah. I'm curious, what what is that for you? What does it look like? So you know, I had mentioned that I had tried talking to therapists. You know, after after um, our daddy passed, and then our mom got sick, and it was a really tough time, obviously. Um, and it just didn't it didn't resonate for me entirely. Um, it and and I'm not saying that it's it's not something that is helpful or that it works. It absolutely does. Um, but I found myself making these like 911 calls, you know, to my therapist and it doesn't really work. And, and I also, I have, I have been, you know, I'm an empath. And so throughout the journey of life, there's always been certain things that I've felt. And as an empath, if you're not, if you're not someone that consciously and mindfully, you know, create sort of a protective layer around yourself, just like a little bubble that knows to discern what's yours, meaning what's your feelings, your energy, and what's someone else's, you take on a lot. And I really had no awareness of this for a really long time. And I was taking it just like a sponge, you know, soaking in so much of other external energies and feelings, you know, even other people's feelings and emotions, I felt the pain. And, um, and so when I first talked to a healer, uh, that was, a, it was one of my best friends, her family spoke and, you know, and they were able to see this healer in real life. I mean, in, in person, because they all lived in the same city. She referred me to her uh, and just said, you know, my, I've talked, she's amazing. 
my family, you know, has been has been working with her for years. And I started talking to this woman, Noelle. And and it was, she was just, and interestingly enough, she's sort of very like straightforward, like what I would imagine like a calculus teacher would be. You know, it wasn't that she was very like, you know, she wasn't, she didn't sound like a grandma with cookies, you know, she was just kind of very like, this is what's going on energetically. And I would talk to her and I would say that I treated my talks with her like 911 calls, which when you're not in a good place, they come and go. They're usually when that, when that anxiety happens, panic. Um, and when this thing happened with my surgeries, I, I committed because I realized and this is really when I started to kind of think about culinary alchemy and energy work into the whole process, because I said, okay, I eat all the right things. I know exactly what to put in my body nutritionally to get the results that, that I want the body to have. I know how to work out and I know what exercises to do. I'm dabbling, you know, I wasn't full into like my, like mindset or meditation, but I'm dabbling that. So I know that, but I wasn't committed to my spiritual practice or a spiritual practice at all, you know? Um, and I thought, okay, I'm just going to call her every three weeks, you know, every three to four weeks, no matter what is going on. Um, and that's going to be my commitment. So I started doing that and just the way, the way energy works, you know, there is, there is, a uh, and knowing that comes with doing intuitive energy work. And there's an extra layer of healing and also understanding and teaching that can happen in that process that I didn't find in traditional, say, therapy work. And so that was kind of the beginning of my journey. And once I made that commitment to just focus in committing, not just to myself, but just committing to life, you know, because I felt like I had a purpose. Um, and so we started doing that and, you know, we would, we would have these sessions and it was all on, it was just over the phone. Um, cause she lives in uh, New Mexico. So it was over the phone and she would kind of give me an assessment of what's going on with my chakras, my energy centers, and just all the different things we'd work on it. And after about eight months, she said, okay, I think you're ready. And I was like, okay, what do you mean? You know, because for the last few months, she's, oh, I'm so happy. There's weight in this and, you know, and I didn't really understand what she was talking about, but I said, okay, if you're happy, I'm happy. Um, and so she said, you know, I really want to, I want to, I want to teach you what I do because she was approaching her seventies and she just felt like she's ascending and she wanted to be able to have an apprentice or teach other, you know, teach to have a student or two, an apprentice, so that she could teach them what she does and pass along, you know, clients as needed because she felt like her ascension process had started and could happen at any time. So at first I thought she was crazy because I was like, what? You're my master. Like, I can't do what you do. It just, I feel like it almost takes away from what you do if you think I can do it, right? Self-worth, right? And so it took four months and after four months, I decided I would go out there because she said, I want you to come out to New Mexico. She lived in Santa Fe, lives in Santa Fe. And she said, um, you know, I want you to come and stay with me and I'll, I'll teach you. So, and I started talking to a couple other, um, you know, healers at the same time, because now I'm open to it and just wanting to learn what different people had to share. So after four months, I went out there, flew to Albuquerque. She came and picked me up, you know, her big giant, like, 
I don't know, Oldsmobile or some like giant car, um, little old lady. She's so cute. And we drove to Santa Fe and I stayed with her for a weekend and she taught me everything that she does, you know, everything, her practice. And it's her own that she kind of just developed because she didn't have really like a master. She was just called one day. She used to live in Nashville with her husband and her kids. And when she hit like 60, she just got a calling and was told she needed to move to Santa Fe. And she did. And her husband stayed in Nashville and they maintained their relationship for for quite a few years, just like, you know, from a distance. And she committed her life to healing from that point forward in Santa Fe. So she just kind of, everything she did was very intuitive. And when I came back, I was so overwhelmed. I had all these notes, you know, and I, and I had notes and recordings and I was trying to figure out if I was doing things right or not. And one of my other healers said, listen, it's, it's you connect to what, like you have your own way, you know, you have your own way. Everyone has their own way. Like you can have methods, you know, and technique, but it's really your own way. So, so, and I thought, okay, that's good because I don't think I can be Noel. But then I realized I needed some structure. So I started to study Reiki because at least there's like, there's like a course and, you know, it kind of breaks down. There's a history of the way Reiki is taught. And so, so I started to take Reiki and, and, and I would say that in my practice, I do do things that's my way of doing Reiki. And I add in like pranic healing and quantum touch and, you know, different energy modalities that I've learned. I say it's all under Reiki. It's my style, but I think that kind of structure, you know, really helped guide me uh, to do what it is that I do now. So again, I give you these super long answers. <laughs> Sorry. No, I, love, I love listening. So it's okay. You can give me as many long answers as you want. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is fascinating stuff because I've never actually spoken to a Reiki master before or mm. someone that actually does Reiki. So you got to try it. I think you love it. I'm I'm just very curious about it. Like how how can it is it mostly like you using your hands? Like I'm trying to picture everything that goes uh, on. So what's what's the healing process like and how long does it usually take? So so with Reiki and I personally think with a lot of healing modalities, you're you're just you're basically channeling energy. So you're you're channeling like source, you know, universal life energy source energy, like you can call it flow. You can call it so many different words, all the same, in my opinion, like everything comes from, you know, one great space, one great thing, universe source, and you're channeling that energy with intention to an area that needs support. So whether that is in a person's physical body, um, on a place, in a space, to an object, you know, it's really channeling that energy to a person place thing moment event whatever whatever what have you um to receive this light to receive this light this love this 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 source energy so it can be done i mean you you are taught distal reiki in reiki two um uh, if you're following, you know, Reiki one, two, three mastery, but you know, you can do that when you're present in, when in with a person like, like 
you know, in, in real life, I, should, I don't know if that's the right way of using it, but like if you're with a person and there can be touched. So sometimes there is touch. Um, and then sometimes there doesn't need to be touch. It's really quite preferential and you kind of go with what feels is needed. So it would be both touch and no touch, but you can also direct and channel that energy distally which I do quite often. And especially during 2020, I was doing all distal work because we were all separated. We're all quarantined and people still needed healing. And another beautiful thing from COVID and the pandemic is that people who might not have been open to receiving it distally because they needed the tangible to make the connection and make it quote real. Now they were open to receiving it distally. And then when they do, then you realize, you know, again, it's a limitation we put on ourselves, right? Because if you think you can only receive when someone is putting their hands on you, and that takes away all the other moments where you might have needed to receive, you know, and people, someone can do it for you from a distance. So, so yes, so that's basically what it is. You're just channeling that energy. You as a practitioner, you're a conduit, you know? It's not your energy. It's not your life force. You know, it is source. And you're just channeling that energy towards a person, you know, a place, an object. For that person, you check in to see like where where they where they need alignment, where they need balance or support. And you direct that energy that way. So that's basically what what Reiki is. And it's and it essentially it's what you know many you know, energetic healing modalities are. So I, I would say, you know, we should do it, you know, at some point. <laughs> I'm, I'm down it. for it. I want, I want to see <laughs> like firsthand, yeah. I want to experience this because I yeah. do believe in, in energy, like hundred percent, like you can feel it. Like mm -hmm. even doing zoom calls sometimes when I have a, a deep and meaningful conversation, you get really deep and emotional. You yeah. feel that energy. Like even though we're, we're on a zoom, yeah. world away, you still feel it. So, and, and even more so in person, I felt mm -hmm. like this connection is this, there's gotta be something deeper to yeah. it. Uh, yeah. 100%. Like I'm, I'm down for whenever you come to Sydney or whenever I go over there to yeah. experience this. But what yeah. I'm curious about real quick mm -hmm. is what has been the, the most difficult thing to actually heal that you've experienced with Reiki? Uh, the most difficult thing. The most I difficult, like uh, someone's come to you, they've got, uh, a lot of pain and you found it difficult to actually heal them? Oh, yes. Okay. That's a great question. So what makes the healing most challenging is when that person isn't open to receive. Uh, so, I mean, truly you can heal almost anything. Like, I mean, and I'm making a very broad statement. I'm, there may or may not be criticism for it, but that is my belief, you know, that you can truly heal just about anything. and and it may not be from one source, you know, and that's why I do what I do. That's why there's culinary alchemy, you know, because there's from different sources. You take tools from different modalities and different practices, but you can heal that pain. You know, you can heal that hurt. You can heal that. So so with, with Reiki, it's really, or I think, again, any sort of energetic practice, it's whether or not that person is open to receive or more challenging 
resistant to receiving. So there are people that I work with that are there because someone else wanted them to be there, you know, and they're resistant. So it's really about trying to figure out why they're resistant. Are they fearful? Did they have an experience that was, did they have a, a bad experience that was related to this? You know, is it something that's ancestral? You know, is it something in their karmic lineage? You know, is it something that's just in their history of their soul journey that we kind of have to dive into? And so those would be, and, and I've, I haven't had a ton because most people that come to me want the healing, but there's definitely people that are there because someone else wanted them to be there because they've tried all these other, all these other things and it doesn't work or there's, um, conflict, um, within relationships. And so, you know, they're willing to try anything. Um, and so, and so that would be, that would be the most challenging. So it can be a physical ailment or it can just literally be a heart. It could be a heart issue. It's just about whether or not that person is truly open or if they're resistant. Mm. I love how you just explained that. That's, that's cool. Um, <laughs> okay. So a couple more questions for you, if you don't mind, because I do want yeah. to respect all your time. Oh yeah, no, I'm having fun. This is great. So in terms of you've got, you've got the Reiki uh, mm -hmm. side of things, you've, but you've also got your culinary, you're a chef. And mm -hmm. now I've seen some of your, your, your food and it looks mm -hmm. so enticing. <laughs> where, where do you find the creativity to come up with such recipes? Oh, well, that's a great question. I don't even know. If, I don't think I've been asked that question before. Um, well, I don't know. I mean, it depends. It depends what it's for. So traditionally, when I, so not traditionally, historically, when I decided to go to culinary school, it was really to study the culinary arts to figure out how I could make something that is designed to be healthy or healing for you taste and look amazing. And that came from, you know, my experience with my parents, because most of the time, and now it's a, it's a different world now, which I'm so grateful for, you know, that it's evolving and people understand how important food is as medicine and nutrition and doctors are becoming more integrative. But, you know, when this happened and in different parts of the world, this is still the case, right? Different parts of our country, even still the case, you know, uh, from a healing perspective, they don't understand how important food is. So when my daddy was going through that journey and my mom too, it was like, okay, I just need protein. So I'm just going to eat this one piece of bold bland meat, you know, or something. And, and, and I realized it was so important that you feed all the senses, you know, and at the same time, so many limitations to what people can have when they're not well. Fast forward, you know, my sister ended up having, and at first we didn't realize, but she has a gluten allergy, which is much more, you know, intense than a gluten intolerance. I personally have, I'm lactose intolerant. Um, and so I started challenging myself to create recipes that met the needs of people that had quote restrictions, which I don't want to call restrictions because they're just different dietary, you know, allow alignments, preferences. Um, and so I had to create foods that were still, didn't make you feel like you were missing out. Didn't, you didn't feel like you're being restricted. Um, and that's kind of how I began uh, my journey as a chef was taking the techniques that I learned and shifting it into a space where there wasn't a lot of love and support. Um, and then moving, moving into the now, I think that 
really like I wanting to, wanting to, um, put together, like wanting to create culinary alchemy on a plate, you know, wanting to bring the magic of the nutritional value of food, but also the energetic vibrational value of food and putting it together. It really allows me to create things that are bright and beautiful because that's what mother nature gave us, you know, and I'm always talking about trying to eat as many colors as possible and trying to eat the rainbow. I mean, it's a great catchphrase, but there's a reason for it. You know, there's a reason behind um, the science of it with all the phytonutrients, but also the energetic aspect of it, you know, and how you're really nourishing your whole body. So I don't know, I can't take that much credit. I feel like mother nature is the reason why we get to be so beautiful and playful and colorful with our recipes. And if you think about it, we're working with the same things, you know, it's not like we're discovering all these new varieties of, um, unless they're modified, which we try not to do, right? Um, You know, new varieties of different, of different produce. It's just, it's been there. It's been there for a long time. We just get to get creative with like, oh, how are we going to put these things together? And I'm also very much about um, texture and flavor um, layering. So when I look at a a flavor profile, I want to have different layers of flavors and I like to have different layers of textures. So I hope that answers it. (laughs) I'm never going to forget Eat the Rainbow. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never going to forget that now. Um, I was speaking to Dr. Josh Axe last year, amazing uh, practitioner and he was like, I've got it. I've got his book, his new book down Ancient there. Remedies, yeah. Ancient remedies. And he was actually talking about during our conversation, how we have been given food that looks like our own, our organs. So we should yes. be eating more of that. Like walnuts look like our brains. So we should be eating that. Um, uh, grapes look like our testicles and we should, for men, we should eat more of that. And uh, some other things as well that I, it was escaping my mind, but it's so true. Like how food not just affects our, our organs, but every other part of our health. And I think we've, we've become so, I guess um, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but I want to see more health food become mm-hmm. less expensive as yeah. the junk food. Yes. And what I'm curious about is just real quick do you see this ever happening in the future? Uh, you know, I do. Actually, if you if you look at the cost of something that was organic, the cost and availability of something that was organic, say 10 years ago, mm. and or maybe not even 10 years ago, let's let's say even five years ago, um, that's changed very much so um over the course of the years because like organic seemed almost boutique you know, and elitist in, in a lot of ways years ago, but more and more farms are becoming organic. People see the value in, in having an heirloom product and an organic product. And now there's so much more science and information about why that's important, how it affects our health, how it affects the soil, how it affects the longevity of our purpose when it comes to growing good food and why we're even doing it. And so I think because of that, like as more information and awareness comes out, people are more apt to support that process. So I do, you know, I think that the marketing, the, the, the price markup based on marketing is going to dwindle down um, over time because we've already seen it. Um, I'm not sure. I don't think there's Trader Joe's in Australia. 
but for all my all the U.S. listeners, there's something called Trader Joe's here, and you know they make organic, non-GMO. You know they make all these products very, very, very affordable for people, and they and there's locations kind of everywhere. So you do have you know the markups and maybe higher priced you know, markets and grocery stores. And then, but then you also have that available in other stores. And I think also it's, there's so much more awareness about regenerative farming, you know, about soil health, about really supporting our farmers. And I think the more support we give our farmers, especially our local farmers, the more they can make the products affordable to, you know, the community. So I do, you know, maybe it's optimistic thinking, but I do just because I've already seen that trend. Um, and it's hopefully it'll speed up a little bit. You know, I'd like it to be faster so that eating healthy is something that's completely democratized. It's a normal for everybody. It's not something just for people who can afford it. Uh, and I think that at least in the U.S. with all these big companies, they're definitely making shifts. You know, we see that in the plant-based space. So, you know, all these companies that have been traditionally very, very meat focused are now creating plant-based options because it's what as a society, you know, there's a, there's a demand for it now. So they have to supply. So even if it's not, you know, these companies and corporations that we as a society, you know, we're the ones that are going to, to make them make that shift mm. and make that available. Mm. I don't know what it's like over in, uh, in the States, but McDonald's mm. has tried to introduce all these health mm -hmm. options yeah, uh, they they get like the bodybuilders protein for the yeah. and things like that. They've got like salads now. Yeah, I, I see just popping up everywhere. But it's funny because when you mentioned the word organic, like back in the day, we used to laugh at it, and even the movie Cars made a reference of it, like the the hippie car, organic, yeah. like, <laughs> yeah. like that sort of yeah. that, that sort of vibe. So I think now we've sort of tried to remove that hippie stigma that is associated with the word organic to something yeah. that is actually beneficial for us mm -hmm. like it is it is good for us so i'm glad that you see you're optimistic that it is going to change uh, i hope that it changes soon because i love my organic food and uh the price is just absolutely ludicrous here in australia <laughs> Yeah. But, um, yeah. anyway. I hope to see that change as well. I mean, because from travels, you know, I know even in, um, well, in Europe, a lot of things just are organic naturally, but just in different parts of the world, it is, it's marked up. But again, I think, you know, there's a, there's a huge marketing, you know, markup on that. It's it, the, the cost of goods can be more, but it also, again, depends where you're sourcing from. And, you know, if we support the farmers and encourage them to, make that switch and not make certifications for having for it being there's so much um politics behind that and you know there's so many hoops that people have to jump through that maybe aren't necessary so yeah yeah i have to agree with you on that uh now i've probably taken up far too much of your time but i've really enjoyed oh, the conversation enjoy. i could, I could <laughs> talk to you for ages uh, my final question for you if you don't mind this is my all-time favorite one so it's a hypothetical I want you okay. to imagine with me for a moment that you've been able to reach the age of 100. Your friends okay. have all decided to put together a film for you of everything you've ever said and everything you've ever done. Don't ask me how in the world they got it all. We'll call it magic for the sake of an argument. They've been able to put it together and show it to you on your 100th birthday. What do you want that film to say and to show about your life? Wow. 
That's a great question. Wow, I gotta really think about this for a second. Um, well, I actually would want, you know, I really, I would like for that film to start with the journey of, of me being a little girl, you know, because there's such a profound power and innocence um, and purity that children have that I feel, you know, animals have as well. Like they're healers. And it's because we haven't let the noise in yet. And I'd want to show that journey of, of how, you know, from this pure space of like joy and, and confidence in being good with being me, that somehow that shifted a little bit as I went to school and started having these other noises come in. I questioned my self-worth. I had self-confidence issues, just all of that. I really would like to show that journey, you know, with all the happy moments, but then the sad ones too, to show that like you go through this journey and you end up back in a space where you are good with who you are. You know, you're kind of back to this space of being, and that's that's the journey of life, right? To come back into a space, whether or not you hit it when you're 100 or when you're 25 or when you're 45, at any point, it's the perfect point, you know? But that when you're at the end of your life, you realize that you just you kind of went back through that journey to get to this place of peace and joy and just being empowered and strong, strong about your thoughts and your love for yourself and those around you and that kind of appreciation for the simple things, because that's what I've seen, you know, when someone who is at, you know, these beautiful senior citizens, you know, my grandma was so dear to my heart and just watching, you know, people say that people get to that point and they're almost childlike again, but why is that a negative thing? You know, let's think about all the beautiful things from being childlike. And so I would love to see that journey because I want to show the pain points and how we get back to the joy and all the moments of laughter. You know, I want it to be more moments of laughter than anything else, while also still showing those those handful of like pain points to see like, this is the journey of life, right? We're all on it. And so if you take a step back and you realize, well, I'm just going to kind of get back to like where I started, it gives you a completely different set of lenses for where you're at right now, whether you're in a beautiful place or where you're in a struggling place or where you're, or whether or not you're in a dark place, right? It just gives you a different set of lens when you have that perspective. If you could think about when I'm hundred, what's going to matter? Is this going to matter? Wait, okay, this does does this, you know what I mean? So, so again, super long answer. <laughs> to your question, but, yeah. Absolutely love it. I feel like that is a great place to sort of leave it, but where can people find you, Serena, connect with you and learn more about you? Uh, okay. So Instagram is um, pretty much our largest platform. Uh, that's chef Serena Poon. So you can go there. You can go to my website. It's serenaloves.com. But, you know, I think all my socials are chef Serena Poon, except for Clubhouse. That one is just Serena Poon, no chef in front of it. But, you know, you can find me, all my socials there. And on Instagram, I'm probably most active in terms of responding to direct messages. So that's where you can find me. I love it. Serena, thank you so much for your time today, for sharing your energy, your enthusiasm, the whole thing on the <laughs> podcast today. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. You're really, it was such a pleasure. It's so much fun chatting. I really don't like this part because it means that sadly we have come to an end of yet another story. 
I just want to say thank you to all of you for tuning in and listening to our guest today. It is my prayer that you would have felt inspired, motivated, challenged in some way, and that you would have learned something new as well. If you would like to hear more amazing stories like this one, you can do so now by searching up the story box on all podcast platforms. It is that easy. And if you did get something from today's guest, please do share it around with your friend or family member who you feel could benefit from hearing today's story. And before you go, I greatly appreciate it if you could spend 30 seconds leaving a rating review over on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way to reaching more people and building this community of the Storybox. Let's start changing lives through powerful stories like this one you heard today. Your support is always greatly appreciated. Until next time, when we dive back into the story box, I'm Jay Phantom, and don't forget, your story is worth more than you know. I'll catch you then. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com.